Hello, this is episode 259. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Kate Cotter, who is CEO and founder of the Bushfire Building Council of Australia. Well, and that's recently been rebranded as the Resilient Building Council. Now, with floods, fires, cyclones and general weather events subjecting our homes to more and more extreme conditions, many homeowners have been talking with me about their desire to create a climate resilient renovation or new build and how they go about doing that. So if you haven't listened to part one of my conversation with Kate, make sure you head back to episode 258 and have a listen. You can grab the transcript, you can listen to our conversation, you can get the resources uh, by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 258. That's the numbers 258. Now in that episode, Kate actually introduced us to Fortis, which is the range of homes that were created by the BBCA with extensive community consultation, particularly with the Shoalhaven community, and also with the involvement of experienced and expert uh, collaboration to really help homeowners who are building or rebuilding after bushfire or other events such as floods and cyclones uh, or who are building in areas that can experience those events and they want to create homes that are going to be more resilient. So it's really worth a listen, uh, even if you don't want to build a Fortis home, just to actually listen to the episode to hear what the core principles are that Fortis was created with, the process that they went through to create them, why they were created that way and how that can then inform and translate into any project in order to create a more resilient home. Now in this episode, in part two, we're continuing our conversation about Fortis uh, and we also talk about some other really amazing projects that Kate is working on with her incredible team. So if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode as well uh, and all of the information that we discuss, you can do that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 259. That's the numbers 259. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. 
Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. So before I jump into the episode and part two of my conversation with Kate, let me just remind you uh, about Kate Cotter and the Resilient Building Council, which is uh, just recently been rebranded from the Bushfire Building Council of Australia. So Kate uh, established the Bushfire Building Council of Australia, which was also known as the BBCA, in t- 2015, uh, really to reduce the impacts of bushfire disasters on communities by strengthening the built environment. And she established the organisation to develop collaboration between experts, industry, communities and governments to motivate and reward disaster and climate adaptation. The BBCA, which, as I said, has recently been rebranded as the Resilient Building Council, it's an independent, not-for-profit organisation, translating research into tangible action to reduce climate and disaster risk for households, communities, governments and industry. Their members are independent bushfire resilience experts working to solve complex disaster risk problems with innovative tools. So we kick off this episode by continuing our conversation about the Fortis Homes. Kate actually shares with you what you're able to access online for free to create your own Fortis Home uh, and the pathways that are available to you for building one. So they've really thought of a lot of scenarios for homeowners. And we also then talk about the Resilient Star Rating Project and the app that Kate and her team are working on. Did you know that 90% of homes in high-risk areas are not resilient to bushfire? And so this project, the Resilient Star Rating Project, is really going to put information back in the hands of homeowners to help improve that situation, really help you understand uh, what you can do to improve your existing property and uh, give you measurable information and feedback about the improvements that you're making. So remember, if you'd like to keep a record of this episode, uh, grab any of the resources that we mentioned, you can do that by getting the free PDF transcript download at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 259. That's the numbers 259. Now let's jump into the episode. I wanted to talk with you about how the homes can be delivered because obviously you've got the designs on your website. You've got incredible packages that put together uh, information, you know, technical information, uh, the designs, the layouts, the elevations. It's really a complete package. And, uh, and then you've got options for people to be able to physically deliver them if they want to. It's all free. So you can just go on and you can get the information, um, which just really removes that barrier of entry and any hurdles or handicaps for people. And you've got the option for people to self-build with a builder. Uh, to go and work, do it as an owner builder. Um, You've also had Damien from Prefab Oz, uh, who was on the BBCA project team for Fortis. Um, So I know, you know, before we jumped on, you're talking about how you're working with some prefab uh, delivery businesses in order for people to be able to prefab this as well. Did you see community asking for the option for prefab? Is this something that you think is necessary for some of these locations or to streamline this for people? Like, how have, you know how how is sort of these different delivery methods and you establishing these options being developed in in terms of your understanding and your community consultation? It came out of the community engagement. We hadn't entered into the project even considering prefab. Actually, it it wasn't top of mind for us. Um, and so yeah, it came out of some of the workshops. People were obviously wanting to get back on site quickly. Um, and so we just started pondering, you know, well, what are some mechanisms we could fast track this rebuild process, but not lose that 
really important, you know, best practice resilience that we're trying to achieve. So we thought, is there a way to do faster and better or are they in conflict? So um, pretty early on in the community engagement sessions, we just asked the question and said, would people, you know, would you consider prefabrication? And 100% of them came back and said yes. So we thought, okay, wow. that's amazing. we better go. I didn't expect that. I just thought people would have a hesitation about it or, yeah, I just thought there might be some barriers to people wanting to go down that path. Um, but no, 100%. So we just went, okay, let's go um, find out how we would do this. So that's when we got in contact with Damien um, and uh, Tuan No from University of Melbourne, who's um, an infrastructure engineer specialising in prefabrication. So sort of found the best experts we could and said, right, help us figure out. We haven't done this before. Help us, you know, how do we translate these designs or, or make them able to be built either entirely or partly off-site? Um, and then it became clear too with people looking for local builders um, that, that such a shortage uh, in the industry in general and then throw on top bushfires and floods and there was just very little access to local resources. So um, it's such an obvious thing, but it wasn't obvious to us at the start, so I'm glad it became obvious um, because we see that as just so important. Um, a lot of people you know, with their insurance might have, if they've got some good insurance, they might have coverage for a year of out-of-home expenses, but most of the people that we've worked with over the last sort of 12 years um, take more than three years at least to, to get back into a rebuilt home. So um, financially, emotionally, you know, for the sustainability of communities, we've just got to do this much faster and better. Yeah, and I find too my experience in the people that I spoke with who'd been through, um, for example, the you know the Black Saturday fires and the people that had worked with them when I was researching season 12 was, and, and what I've seen too in Lismore uh, with people recovering from their homes being um, damaged by flood there or completely, you know, demolished, is that there's an urgency to get back into or just get back into something to, to be able to start moving forward. And yet the whole process of building or renovating a home does not facilitate that easy get back into. You can't, it's not something you can just flick a switch. And, and so the idea of being able to use prefab and streamline and speed up some of that, that process. And even as you said, that partial, um, even the partial build to be able to perhaps take a house out that is done to lock up or something like that, that then can be fitted off and finished off inside on site you know and it and it worked more effectively like that just makes so much sense so it's fantastic that you're exploring that opportunity for people helping find um prefab builders that they can work with and you know it's one of these things the industry's been saying for such a long time in five years time prefab will make up the predominant way that we deliver homes and yet <laughs> we keep moving forward and it's not <laughs> it's not coming up so but it's, i yeah and i i figure you know from what you probably witnessed as well is just giving people a starting point this doesn't have to be Portis doesn't have to be their end point just somewhere to start you know whether it's going with these designs or something completely different just trying to I guess shorten that amount of time which can be a year or two years of thinking about how do I you know how do I rebuild who do I speak to what's some design examples you know that can be such a long process um, and also just trying to get people through the approvals process that was the other part we really wanted to 
make this easy for regulators and, and authorities to um, say, right, oh, we can see you've shown us how it meets all the regs or exceeds them so we can get this you know, through that process faster for people. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, yeah, just so necessary. So really, really exciting that you've been able to do that. Can you tell us a bit about what people can access when they download a package of Fortis information from your website? Yeah, so there's um, the actual floor plans, material schedules and construction drawings for people for those example um, designs. Then there's um, two handbooks. One is for households just to explain quite at a high level, you know, what the resilience features are and what the process might be for going ahead and building a Fortis house and then also how to apply it to your own design. And then we've got a, a technical handbook that's really for industry. So, um, you know, details right down to, you know, how we seal around flashing and building penetrations and all the materials choices and, um, yeah, how it sort of meets or exceeds regulations. So, kind of two distinct resources there that both are essential, I think, to get the right outcome and help people through the process. Yeah, and when I was looking at them, I thought anybody who's building in a bushfire prone area should just download those packages because they will leapfrog a lot of their learning in terms of understanding what building in those kinds of areas actually requires. You've done so much of the legwork for people in terms of simplifying that. So it's a really great resource for anybody who has any kind of bushfire attack level rating on their website, any kind of bushfire zoning. There's a, there's additional information in the household guidelines around landscaping design um, solutions. You've got checklists there. You've got fire resilient plant recommendations, and you've also got disaster safety planning uh, and a maintenance schedule. So is that something that you saw was coming out of community demand or did you just see that, oh, actually, no, people need to know that this isn't just a build and, fl- and forget. You actually, you know, there's things that you need to do and your landscape can also facilitate you know that asset protection zone the buffering of the house how, how did you sort of pull of that together as well and think about that what the landscaping questions came out of communities so um that a lot of people were worried about whether their landscaping had contributed to building loss which is really interesting and so we thought okay that's going to be an important thing because the two obviously work in harmony um, so we can use the local environment to our benefit and so we just wanted to just lay out how to um, structure and landscape around the home um, to make that environment work for you and we also didn't want to let people down with just stopping it at the building Um, you know once they move in as you know most of your audience would know it's all about how you maintain things and also when properties change hands how do we pass on that information about how that house operates and performs and and what needs to be done sort of once a year once every six months or in the few days leading up to a bushfire Um, I guess we wanted that to be a document and a resource that belongs to the house Um, so yeah future people could understand how to use the home and um, and really maintain a high level of resilience yeah, we, I mean, we get instruction manuals for appliances and for all the things that we do, <laughs> the smaller purchases, don't we? But we don't get owner's manuals for this is the best way to kind of take care of this home and to get it performing to its optimum level. So it's great that you've been able to put that together. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes there's little things, they seem so small, but they can be quite significant in terms of, um, yeah, the, the home actually performing well uh, in a disaster or just in its daily operations. So some of those things wouldn't be obvious to people. So, yeah, we've just got to explain how all that works and, you know, make the most out of the home. Have you got people building some of the Fortis homes yet or working on projects that have, have been initiated by the Fortis Home Designs? Yeah, we've got um, we've got one um, of the community members that actually participated in the uh, in the whole process. Who's poured his slab? I think he's up to now. So ground has been broken, which is great because they've only had the designs for a couple of months. So we weren't expecting much to happen yet. Probably not until next year. So that's great. And he's posting all his progress photos. Um, and then there's a bunch of people who are starting to talk to the prefab suppliers and, uh, yeah, get their builds underway. So, it's yeah, it'll be exciting probably late next year being able to actually go and step through a Fortis house and, yeah, it'll be a good feeling, I think. Oh, I can imagine that's going to be, it's going to feel almost like the culmination of years of effort and research and work. I mean, right from the beginning of the Bushfire Building Council, I can imagine that these home designs are the fruition of so much learning, so much expertise, so much investment and energy in kind of figuring out what do people really need at this moment. For you to be able to walk through a finished Porter's home, oh, I can imagine that will be a huge buzz for you. Yeah, it's kind of the culmination of applied research, isn't it? It's like it's something tangible that will come out of everybody's very sort of um, extensive efforts and there's been lots of, I guess, volunteer expertise I've got to acknowledge over the last 10 years. Um, lots of retired uh, research scientists and engineers and architects that have, yeah, just wanted to contribute their time. So I'm happy for them that they can actually see something <laughs> coming out of all of that, uh, yeah, very large amount of goodwill. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's tremendous, and I think um, I think you've completely undersold your ability to galvanise people, as I said, into a common vision and a and a, a collective action. Because I can imagine just how much work it's taken for you and the Bushfire Building Council to to really pull this together. You you mentioned uh, in the on the on the Fortis website, it talks about the Fortis homes being designed to achieve a five star bushfire resilience rating. This is an app that you're planning on releasing next year, I believe, 2023. You spoke about it before in terms of uh, people having some kind of star rating or understanding of how the home performs, how resilient it is to specific environmental conditions. Um, can will the can you talk through some of that information about that star rating scheme? Will it help with retrofits? Um, you know, can we just chat about this briefly and and give people a heads up that this is coming and, and understanding more about it? Because I think, it, you know, from the research I've done on this tool and I've been watching this tool for a while, I think it's going to be a game changer in terms of people understanding when they buy homes in these areas and when they're also then doing their own projects, having a different benchmark that, again, one of those legible core foundational kind of understandings um, that then has a, a measurable kind of data-driven applicable, you know, feedback loop in it. So how, you know, how, tell us more about this star rating program. Yeah. Well, it's been going for a long time, all the, the uh, methodology that underpins it. Um, <coughs> so we spent um, I think since about 2017 building what we call a probability of loss um, model and 
that's basically all the science and the post-disaster um, research, looking at individual house loss and working out how whole building systems and individual materials all perform. And then figuring out from that, how do we um, measure that performance and you know, what, what does better than something else? So trying to benchmark that. So like Fortis, a huge amount of work, um, but we're really close. So that is a federally funded project. Um, so that'll be available for free to all Australians and we'll be able to self-assess your own home. So it's particularly targeted at retrofitting. Obviously, that's where all the risk is. Um, you know, we've only got a small fraction of buildings that are actually built to bushfire building standards. Um, so, yeah, we've really focused on, okay, how do we reduce the most amount of risk and, and retrofitting is obviously key to that. So, yeah, people will be able to walk around with that. We ask them a lot of questions about um, the materials, um, the distance to things. So we're looking at um, how fire spreads from other structures to the home, landscaping, um, things down to water tanks and, you know, where you park your car. And so things that sound um, maybe not as important as what is the building structure and its materials. But um, from the research, we know that these things that appear small actually have a big impact on whether that home will burn down or not. So, um, yes, yeah, just meant to be really holistic, easy for people to answer themselves. And then it will give them a rating about uh, their, their building as it is and then provide sort of customised recommendations and says, look, if you do this list of things, it will lift your building from one star to four stars. And that's always been really important to us that we can be transparent and say, well, what, what's effective, what's efficient, you know, what should I spend my money on or not spend my money on? Um, and I guess being able to measure the, the building performance uh, for disaster resilience has let us be able to bring in banks and governments and insurers and start doing that systems impact that we want, which is we want that resilience recognised, rewarded, and, you know, that end goal of sustainable communities means we need to be insurable. It means that we need to be able to get a mortgage. Um, we need to know what action is actually going to make a difference. And it's got to be specific to my own site, my own home. There's no point telling everybody to go and change their windows or their roof. It might not have any material effect on their resilience of the building. So, um, yeah, lots of complexity beneath the surface, but we're hoping it's something that's easy to use. And um, so the grant um, agreement is that that needs to be released by March and we're on track to do that. And happy for people to get in contact with us because we're um, about two weeks away from starting to do some beta testing. So yeah, oh. welcome anyone to participate. Um, and there's also some retrofit, actual physical retrofits going on in parallel in New South Wales and Victoria. So people can also participate in those and we are doing those for bushfire resilience and matching that with energy efficiency and thermal efficiency. So looking for those sort of multiplier effects and, um, yeah, trying to, I guess, again, bring, bring things together and say, right, how can we make this home efficient you know how do we make it resilient so how do we um i guess both treat the cause of climate change and the impact of it can we do that as yeah a, a single process so 
That's so exciting. That just sounds absolutely amazing. And I think I, I love that. I mean, in the States, I remember going to the Architectural Institute's conference in the States in 2018 and, and listening to uh, somebody talk about the testing that, I mean, a whole testing facility is a massive shed that they had in the Southern parts of the States where they were doing cyclone testing and they were building prototype houses, um, that was funded by the insurance council or the insurance, the over, overseeing, um, body of insurance companies in the, in America, um, where they were literally looking at what building methodologies performed better and what did you need to do in the event of a cyclone in evacuating your house to give it some more resilience whilst you weren't there and, you know, then feeding that into a building system uh, and into some building standards that then people building in those areas could know to use when they were, um, you know, renovating or building their homes. And that partnership between those that are insuring our homes or potentially making it unaffordable to insure our homes, actually investing effort in helping people find a pathway who do want to improve their homes but want to know what the best things to do are, I think it's really, really exciting. And I can see this then having a marketable opportunity in these areas where, you know, people can actually say, look, I've done this work and I've elevated my home from this star rating to this star rating. So then buyers have some confidence um, in that, in in the, the differentiation between properties and those kinds of things. I mean, there's that bigger conversation of should we even people be able to build in these areas? And the inevitable thing is, well, they are and they do. So let's actually, you know, help people understand how do they create more resilient homes. So you're yeah. clearly, yeah. Did a calculation once on what all the, just for bushfire, what all the sort of moderate to high risk homes were worth. And it's about a trillion dollars. So if we, if wow. we did buyback, that's that's how much we're going to have to spend on buybacks. So we, you know, I think it's a really important conversation. We have to, you know, think ahead with our land use planning and, you know, not keep repeating these mistakes. But we also have to address what, what we've got now. And I think if we sort of ignore the couple of million people with existing homes in, in you know, moderate to high-risk areas, we're letting them down with just got to have a solution for them that's practical. Yeah. Well, Kate, I am so grateful that you've been able to share all of this incredible information with us. I get so excited to know uh, and be able to share with the undercover architect community these kinds of resources because I know how what a difference it makes to them feeling educated as they navigate their project in areas that are more susceptible to, um, you know, challenging situations like bushfires, floods, um, those kinds of things. And to be, you know, to be perfectly frank, when we look at the Black Summer fires, you know, there were a significant number of homes that were not even in bushfire prone, uh, not even in bushfire zoned areas, but were um, lost through ember attacks. So, this is something that I think um, is important to be on everybody's radar as they think about their homes, particularly if we're living in connection with nature, we're near parks, we're near, you know, uh, national park, that kind of stuff. It's um, it's definitely an important conversation to have. Did you have anything else to add? If there's anything that I've forgotten to ask you or anything about the incredible work that the Bushfire Building Council of Australia is doing? Um, no, I think probably by the time this goes to air, we'll rebranded to Resilient Building Council to have all the flood and cyclone and heat wave and all those other experts so oh really yeah we'll sort of let the bushfire building council um yeah merge into sort of this yeah reworked organization that um i thought us really stimulated that um so it's kind of nice to yeah not have just made that collaboration a temporary thing for one project but yeah it's how we 
sort of moving forward now. So that's, yeah, that's my exciting news. I'm really looking forward to that. So. That's really exciting. So what will, the, what will the new name be again? Resilient Building Council, and that will have all those experts that worked on Fortis, um, plus some other organisations, like Climate Kick and others involved uh, in that, um, yeah, new new organisation. So that's exciting. Kate, that is tremendous. What a powerhouse of experience and expertise. And it really, uh, it's so encouraging to know that there's so many clever people working together to improve our built environment. I know that this isn't something, we have listeners that are overseas whose countries have very different approaches to building in bushfire areas. Um, and yet it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. I think that Australia, you know, we're experiencing more and more of these kinds of things and knowing that there's, uh, you know, organisations such as yours working and galvanising really clever people together to share so generously their wisdom and experience to to make this simpler for people and to help them create better outcomes. It, it's just really exciting. And I can't thank you enough for being here and for sharing all of this knowledge with us. I'm going to pop all of the resources to be able to find you uh, on the uh, show notes for this episode. They'll also be on the website to check out Fortis and uh, to see those fantastic home designs. I really encourage anybody who's uh, building in a in an area that's got any kind of uh, uh, threat from uh, climate issues or in a natural environment to go and check them out. If you just want to see great design, go and check them out as well. So thank you so much for your time, Kate. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Amelia. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And that's it for part two and my conversation with Kate. I really do hope that you found our conversation super helpful. Please share it with anyone that you know needs more information on designing, renovating and building in a climate resilient way. Uh, I'm hoping that it's a really useful resource for anybody needing to do that or building in a bushfire prone area or rebuilding after one of the most, you know, the significant events that we've had over the past couple of years. Which leads me to something else that I wanted to mention before I jumped off, you know, everyone handles recovery and rebuilding really differently. And I've seen this firsthand with those impacted locally by the Lismore floods. And we're continuing to see it around the country and around the world. Um, I was chatting to a friend of mine, a woman that I know whose uh, home in Lismore was flooded earlier this year. She had to evacuate in the dark hours very early in the morning with her young family when the upper floor of her elevated home uh, was waist deep in water. And I remember her saying to me only recently, you know, we were talking about what she'd been through and what they were trying to do next and figuring out their next steps. And, you know, whilst trying to kind of keep a, a roof over their head for, for herself and her family. And we were talking about, you know, there was a lot of people and organisations that were coming through Lismore putting on events to really help people locally with their resilience, with recovery, uh, with their mindsets, with emotional recovery, all of these kinds of things. And I'd attended one of these events um, put on and, and I was talking to her about it. And she said to me, you know, everyone keeps telling me to thrive and I am just surviving right now and I need it to be okay to just be surviving I appreciate that people are offering me help to thrive and I'll thrive when I'm ready, but that's not right now. And she was really honest just about the limited bandwidth that she had to make significant and impactful decisions about the future of her family, their life, their finances, you know, and, and what was on her plate in front of her and, and really having to prioritise where she put her energy. And so much of the recovery after an event like a significant fire or flood or some other extreme event, it involves and requires really significant decisions of the people that have been most impacted by it in order to move forward. 
And something that was told to me over and over uh, when I was actually researching for season 12 of the podcast, which is called Rebuild and Build Better. And that was a podcast uh, season that I um, put together after the Black Summer 2019-2020 fires. And you know, I remember being told time and time again back then I, about people who were impacted, there was a real urgency to rebuild as they were seeking, you know, they were seeking to just get back to, to normality. They just wanted life to get back to, to what it was. And so for a lot of people that looked like rebuilding what they'd had. And some people did exactly that, even though it may not have suited their current life, it may not have been the best outcome, it may not have been the best way to spend their money. Um, Others would try and do it and then they would hit obstacles because that rebuilding wasn't immediately possible or it wasn't affordable or it didn't meet current legislation or it didn't feel safe. And there's always this immediate flurry after the actual event, but rebuilding takes years and years. And renovating and building at the best of times can be overwhelming and time consuming. And so, you know, to be doing it after an event like this uh, just really amplifies that. So with so much of Australia in the world that's being impacted by these events right now, if you know someone who is needing support, uh, please put them in contact with this podcast episode with the Resilient Building Council resources, you know, so that they can access the right kind of help and advice when they're ready to act on it. I really feel that it's important to create pathways and to highlight those pathways just to really illuminate them and the opportunities that are available for everyone to do this at a pace that makes sense for them. So, you know, that they can that they can accommodate and that they're ready for and, and to make the necessary information as, you know, as accessible to them as possible so that they can have those next steps simplified. There are so many amazing people out there donating their time and their expertise to help people be able to rebuild after situations like this. And, you know, it's been really brilliant to bring Kate Cotter to you on the podcast and the Resilient Building Council and their work. And uh, yeah, I've really loved being able to share them with you. And I hope that you found it incredibly helpful. So you can um, remember that I've put all of the resources uh, on the for this episode uh, on the website. And also there's a free downloadable PDF transcript. You can grab all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 259259. Uh, we've also got links there for the Fortis Homes, you know, um, sign up and learn more about this Resilient Star rating project and the new app that's focusing on retrofit improvements. That's definitely worth checking out um, because so much of our existing building stock just isn't prepared for what it might face in the future and what the um, Resilient Building Council putting together with that Resilient Star rating project is going to be really amazing for empowering you to know what will make a difference to the performance of your home in events such as this. So as always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.